prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. to episode 55 of gutter boys gutter boys is a gaming podcast all about cold war how to stay alive make that kd ratio good how to fuck them campers up and uh survive nine rounds on outbreak i am uh your host cam the guy who knows where the pack-a-punch is along with my co-host jb who uh does not have battle pass gift him please <laughs> yeah, I need that 420 kit. So, yeah. <laughs> just saying. That's how you upgrade guns, too, by the way. The ones you start off with, you get them through Battle Pass. So, I got to oh, give okay. you one, man. I got to grind harder to get you one. I don't know why I'm not able to get one. So, hey, yeah, if it's... you're listening to this and you're like a Call of Duty nerd, please tell me why I'm not getting a yeah, Battle Pass JB's for free. Not, yeah, he's not generating CP. Yeah, not child porn. Yeah, no, CP, like the money. I don't even know what it stands for. But, yeah. Anyways, uh, on today's episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Today on the episode, on the back end, we have RJ Casey. RJ was the editor at Fantagraphics up until a couple months ago. Eisner nominated for his work on Crazy and Ignatz and the uh, new comics journal. Uh, They haven't announced the winners yet of the Eisners. If voting is still open, which I don't think it is, um, but if it is, go vote for RJ and uh, his work on the comics journal as well as the uh, Crazy and Ignatz strip. He's nominated twice. Hopefully he uh, takes one of those home. Uh, But yeah, it's an interesting interview about the editorial process. He's also the uh, co-creator of Yeti Press. Yes. Also, yes. More importantly, the co-creator of Yeti Press, which was a Chicago-based staple for a pretty long time there. Uh, we get yeah. into all that, though, on the back end of the episode. Until we uh, do that, though, we're just going to hit you with some news and shout outs, though. Yeah. So, let's get into the nitty gritty. Uh, so, we've talked about this a couple of times. Yeah, we blew the whistle. Yes, we we warned all of you guys about this. (laughs) So, if you're listening to this and you're like somehow shocked about the news, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, go Uh, listen to the back episodes. Yeah, turns out the rest of the world is finally figuring out that Rick Remender is a piece of shit, which, I mean, to be honest, considering how long he's been in the industry, it's a little late in my opinion, but okay. Yeah. Uh, That's fine. Whatever. Uh, Yeah, it's been been brought to Twitter versus attention that uh, he's a giant fucking asshole. Yep. Now, I knew this personally for a very long time. I know a lot of other creators that know this, but uh, this recent news about his book Scumbag has uh, finally, I guess, convinced enough fucking brain dead people to wake up and and maybe uh, not support his work. Mm -hmm. We can't really get into too much detail, uh, mostly because a lot of it is kind of, uh, how would you say, private insider shit? Yeah, so we've seen some screenshots uh, that I think are going to come out. But it's not our place to drop those. 
Um, however, we will talk about what publicly went down. Uh, it all kind of spun out of this uh, thread that Joshua Dysart, who wrote Harbinger at Valiant in, like, I want to say the mid 2010s, like 2014, 2015. But Bleeding Cool ended up, uh, you know, doing an article saying Joshua Dysart is in conflict with Valiant over Harbinger. Essentially, though, for the uh, too long didn't read, Josh put on Twitter, I'm of the opinion that the spirit of the royalty pool in my contract has been broken and that Shooter and Lapham should be the biggest recipients of money from that pool. I want to see everyone get paid regardless of contractual legalities. Yeah, me too. But essentially, it was just that Valiant hasn't been paying royalties to the proper creators of their books. So this guy named Brett Booth quote tweeted this and said, now I don't feel so bad for not getting bloodshot number one royalties. I know the book sold over the 35,000 copy threshold. Initial sales from Just Diamond were over 41k, the number one indie book of 2019 as well. So the reason I read that is uh, the artist of the first few issues of The Scumbag, uh, Louis LaRosa, ended up replying to this saying, I hear you. And it was a screenshot of a Bleeding Cool article from uh, the fall of 2020 uh, with the title of The Scumbag is Rick Remender's biggest image comics launch ever. And then the article says, OK, this doesn't quite touch the sides of Rick Remender's launch of Uncanny Avengers a few years ago, which topped 300,000 orders. But with orders of around 70,000 on The Scumbag number one at Image Comics, he'll earn a lot more from this comic than that one as it is creator owned. The next screenshot that Lewis tweeted was Rick blocking him. So if you dig into this a little bit, there were some replies. Yes. So we have here Christian Ward, who's a writer, artist, Eisner, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I've never heard of him, but okay. <laughs> uh, he replied, wait, what? We're not getting 50% of the back end of that issue? And Lewis replies, it was cool when he told me I'm lying about my health problems. I thought about that again while I was laying in the MRI machine a couple months ago. Thought about how great it'd be to have the extra cash to afford the deep facet injections to help alleviate the constant pain. Yeah, so pretty much Lewis ended up, you know, getting a lot of replies uh, from comics pros. And this is kind of went, you know, viral, quote unquote, in the sense of uh, on comics Twitter, which isn't really that big, but you know, whatever. But yeah, a lot of people, you know, coming to it and saying, hey, what the fuck's going on? Even bad guy, Ethan Van Skyver. <laughs> <laughs> replied Lewis oh, how can I help shit. you and your family so uh, piece of shit comics gator you know whatever your money spends the same if he decides to take it but yeah no so it's just a really shitty situation that we have seen a little bit more about but um, I think it'll come out in the next you know few days uh, by the time this episode airs. But yeah, Remender is kind of getting quote unquote canceled <laughs> right now over this, even though like JB said, this has, you know, been known for quite a long time. We need to look into what's allowing these writers to freeze out the artists on the contracts though, because it's obviously, you know, Remender just like fucking getting his lawyers because he's had the TV shows and has been to the dance before getting some kind of weird verbiage in there that fucks them out of co-creator rights. Yeah, I'd imagine Remender and his team of Jews. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd imagine that Remender and his team of lawyers have a copy and paste type contract where they know exactly what's going to be uh, like, they know how to word it so that Remender is the one that comes out on top. Anyone else that's working with him, quote unquote, his business partners, completely secondary. Yeah. What we'll do is uh, we will probably follow up on this once more stuff comes out about this. And uh, I'm going to do some actual work for the podcast and figure out how Remender's able to fuck artists out of this. Maybe not like exactly him, but I'm going to, you know, look up contracts and whatnot and report back next episode about my findings. Yeah. So just saying, if you really do want to work for the big two or you want to work for like a larger quote unquote indie publisher, I use quotes because they're not indie at all, but any like publisher that uses, what is it, creator owned as a marketing tag, 
Yeah. Check your contract. Yeah. Probably Fucking don't sign re- a contract anyways. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'd say that contracts can help in certain situations, but you really do need to read them and yes. sit down, review them with somebody who can actually break down the verbiage. And also negotiate because, yes, you know, right. sometimes these companies are going to, they're going to lowball you. Right. You know, right, right, um, right. I, I mean, we've talked so much shit about Boom, but something I've learned in the past like month just from talking to people is they do have more money and will give it to you if you say no to them. I guess it depends on your stature in the business. You know, like if you've never done a comic before, they're probably going to tell you to go fuck yourself if you say no to their 25 a page. But, you know, just know your worth as a creator and uh, don't settle for stupid contracts. Right. Yeah. I would say that the only time that you'd really maybe want to consider that is if they are offering you a boatload of money. Mm-hmm. And you already have potential for licensing for stuff. Yep. Then, yeah, go ahead and go for it and just make sure that you're protected with the contract that you're signing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, just do it yourself. Like, there's no point in these people reaching around in your pocket for your own work. That makes no sense. So, yep. yeah, just, you know, be smart. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say other than just like, think about it. Don't rush into anything because you got stars in your eyes and you think, you know, you made it. Yep. Agreed. So, uh, yeah, we will follow up on that probably. Who knows what will happen in two weeks and how much weed is smoked, but you know, whatever. Yeah, so this Reminder stuff came out because uh, Image ended up tweeting a uh, promotion about his new comic and uh, this is how it all kind of came up as well. So, it was kind of just like a perfect storm. But yeah, hopefully he gets his. The guy has aspirations to continue working in Hollywood, but I don't know how far those go when you're only time at the dance you got canceled after eight episodes yeah. so <laughs> yeah i mean it is very clear that he always has seen comics as a stepping stone in order to get into tv and movies mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of the that's kind of the mentality that's very common with the big two writers if i'm being honest like that's yeah totally that's how they see this in terms of like a career trajectory they don't see comics as the end-all be-all yeah. It basically, if you are looking to work with writers, avoid these people like the fucking plague. <laughs> Actually, we could talk about this. So, yeah, we were actually told to talk about this. If you follow our social media, I mean, it's pretty obvious. We did get to interview and talk with Jaime Hernandez for uh, Autoptics Digital Programming this year. Um, We don't know the exact date that'll be out yet. I want to say mid-August. I do know that uh, there's a lot of digital content going on. I don't have a full finalized list of everything that's happening. I do know that uh, our friends Katie Skelly and Sally Madden over at uh, Thick Lines Podcast did an episode as well that'll be featured. Uh, But, yeah, we got to interview the God, Jaime. I thought it went pretty well. By design, just a heads up, it's probably what, like 75% wrestling talk? Yeah, maybe more. Yeah, maybe more. Uh, His new book's about wrestling and, you know, there are literal, you know, hardback books that are just nothing but 200 pages of interviews with that guy. Um, You know, he's been in the game for decades. I actually went and saw him give a talk and uh, maybe I was assuming, you know, too much, but uh, he seemed a little bored by, you know, the cookie cutter loving rockets questions. So we were just like, hey, how can we make this interview different? And we both love wrestling, JB and I. So, uh, yeah, we just sat down and talked about the new book with Jaime and uh, a lot of wrestling talk. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. We will have organizer and previous guest of the show, Pete Fakey, on the intro of the next episode to talk a little bit more about what's coming up with Autoptic, though. Also, some additional news here about friend of the show, Aubrey Citizen's book, No One Left to Fight. 
It looks like it's coming back. Yep. Part two. Yes. So Dark Horse dropped a press release announcing that uh, the comic is returning and that uh, No One Left to Fight 2, number one of five, will be in comic shops on October 13th, 2021. And it is currently available for pre-order at your local comic shop and bookstores. So check it out. Yeah, he's doing a lot. I just picked up a couple books that he's doing. He has that Worst Dudes book over at uh, Dark Horse. Yep. And then there's like a really horny comic that he has, I think, over at Dark Horse as well. Uh, Savage Heart, I think. I haven't read it yet, but uh, I do have it in my pile. So, it uh, looks like Aubrey's uh, getting some work out there. So, always good to see the team eating. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, check those books out if you're, uh, you know, looking into uh, getting some new titles. Yes. Uh, shout out to our friend, Baldemar Rivas. He's a Kansas City boy who's a hold up there with uh, a couple of other really talented friends of ours. Uh, but I don't know if he officially announced it, but he'll be on a DC book soon. I can't say. Oh, hell yeah. I can't say which book, probably. <laughs> so, I'm not going to say anything uh, just to be on the safe side. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of DC people, if you're not reading Robin by Gleb Melnikov, that's another homie that's working there. Uh, just a heads up, if you want Gleb on our show, Big Gleb is supposed to come on, but uh, the assholes over at uh, Mex Flintayo uh, have some kind of loyalty thing going on with Gleb, and he won't come on our show until he's on Mex first. So if you want to hear Big Gleb talk about how DC works on the Gutter Boys program, go fucking subscribe and give them a dollar on Patreon or something so or you can just message him Ramon. to hurry the fuck up. I don't suggest that because he'll probably eat you alive, but... I mean, but I'm saying if you if you consider yourself a top tier shit poster, just go and bully Ramon and then eventually he'll crack. Yeah. And we'll get Gleb on the show. Yeah. There you Big go. Gleb. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, before we get into the shout outs, though, as usual, you can find us on Patreon at gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. Uh, we do bonus episodes on our off weeks from the main feed. To be completely honest, we did what I thought was our worst episode ever on <laughs> Patreon last time. But the engagement and uh, the feedback on it was very good. So it's a great value because if I feel like we're phoning it in and people really like it, what are you missing out on? You know, it's obviously great content. So um, yeah, uh, but no, you can get a zine. Pimp Digest is our monthly publication. Uh, issue six, actually, God, six months. Uh, issue six six will be out at the end of the month mail to everybody at the beginning of august this issue is going to have some work by jb and i as always and actually friend of the show jazz heiss is going to be interviewed and submitted a one-page comic and is doing some kind of astrology astronomy what is it astrology is that what people are into like taurus and cancer is it ast astrology yeah not astronomy sorry uh, but yeah she's doing she's doing some kind of like girl stuff astrology page or something i don't know but that'll be in the next issue with work from us um but yeah we've had previous you know guests and friends of the show and previous issues and you can get a copy through our patreon as well as the bonus episodes but yeah that really helps us a lot we do want to thank everybody for you know subscribing to our patreon it keeps the show going yeah we're at uh, a little over 120 patrons now so so thank you. Yeah. Um, spread the word. Spread that and, word. Yeah, uh, we need to triple those digits. <laughs> yeah. If we can make uh, our rent off this show and our bills, oh, baby. we might end up going live four times a month and then doing additional episodes on Patreon, just to be completely honest. Yeah, so, yeah. If you need incentive, we're just saying, if we get more yeah. patrons, we'll be doing more stuff on Gutter Boys. Yeah. Like, that's, that's yeah. just what's going to happen. The more money we get, the more content we're going to put out there. And we're going to mix it up, too. We'll start introducing video and stuff like that. But, you know, we can't get there just yet because this shit is it, it costs time 
and time equals money, so give us money. But thank you to everybody who has subscribed yes, because you yes. know we didn't, we didn't think board. we would hit this so quick. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. Yes. Yeah. We're yeah. we're very thankful. But yes, we will make this our full time job if you know we're able to do so, and if that means talking to creators, you know, four times a month and being you know nailed to our computers to edit. I'd rather be doing you know forty hours of work on the show than forty hours a week for you know some Sucking asshole in a dick in an office space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talked on the previous episodes about what we would do. The goal is to make the show our main gig. Um, um, if at all possible over time. And yeah, you all get an episode, a free episode every week instead of every two weeks and more content on Patreon, including video content. I've already developed a web show in my head oh, and I tell people head. about it and they're, and they're like, that's a great idea, Cam. You should definitely do that. And, uh, only way to make it happen is, uh, you know, via pledging your hard earned dollars to our Patreon. Um, it'd be cool if we could pivot into like a space ghost type TV show. <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash gutterboys gutterboys.top also uh, before we get into shout outs real quick uh, we do run advertisements on the show and you can sign up for the advertisement tier on our patreon as well it's just $12 a month affordable for cartoonists of all budgets and you get four ad reads uh, for your comics so if you're interested in that patreon.com forward slash gutterboys and I'm off my fucking salesman shit now there you go Uh, shout out time yes all right so a couple of shout outs we got some things in the mail First, we have Dustin Holland, who mailed over his magazine-sized comic, The Future is an Open Mouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, He included a note, JB, I hope you're doing well. Hey, thanks, I am. I really dig your work and the podcast and just wanted to send along a copy of my newest comic, Hope you like it. Thanks for doing what you do, Dustin. Hey, thank you, Dustin. We really appreciate you sending us your book. It looks really fun. Yeah, uh, it's got like an outsider art type vibe going on. Yeah, the cover rocks. I really like this cover. Good stuff. Yeah, I'll be uh, flipping through that here. Okay, and then next, all the way from England, England, uh, our favorite place in the world, we have (laughs) Mukbang by Matt Simmons. He also included a note. Uh, He writes, hey, JB, thanks for taking the time to check out my comic. I hope you enjoy it. And the fact that I'm British doesn't put you off too much. Thank you for hours of Gutter Boys entertainment, Matt. Hey, man. Yeah, we we here at the Gutter Boys love everyone, regardless of what shithole country you come from. Uh, so <laughs> also, I just want to say the anti-British sentiment is uh, on uh, Gutter Boys, Iowa. Gutter Boys, Kentucky, we're allies to the Brits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I don't have a, I don't really have a problem with people in, in England. It's, no, I know. It's more of a bit. And also, I there are like a handful of people that I do not like. Yeah. So. So you can find Matt on Instagram at Sheriff underscore Freak. He was actually a previous advertiser. Check out his work on Bastard Galactia. And also Dustin Holland. You can find him on Instagram at at dustin.holland.artstuff. A couple other things that made their way across our desk. Glacier Bay were nice enough to send over some copies of Glaolia 2. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it's a beautiful book. And actually, um, I reviewed that in the new issue of Pimp Digest. So if you would like to hear my thoughts on that, I reviewed that as well as Crash Pad by Gary Panner. Plan on putting those in the new issue of uh, Pimp Digest. So check that out uh, via our Patreon. You can find Glacier Bay on Instagram. Instagram at Glacier Bay Books with no spaces. And then also John Grund sent over a mini comic called, I'm probably mispronouncing this to be completely honest. It's uh, C-H-U-I space G-A-I, Chewy Guy. I don't know if I'm uh, pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry if I am, but it's a really nice black and white comic. Um, I would have actually, like if I came across this at a show and I picked it up off a table, I would have bought it. So I actually enjoyed the story a lot. Good drawings. Uh, You could check out John's work 
at John underscore underscore Grund on Instagram. Thanks for sending that over, dude. Also, finally, we do want to shout out. Uh, we forgot to, we forgot to bring this up last episode. But, yeah, we uh, posted it, but we didn't bring it up. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, George Haig, I forget how he pronounces his last name. It's either Hage or Haig. I can't remember. Uh, H-A-G-E. Yeah. But anyway, he sent us over his anthology called uh, Creatures, which is a anthology comic promoting his new album, Creatures, by his band, Jack the Radio. He also included the record itself on vinyl, along with a seven inch and some stickers. Uh, so thank you very much, George, for sending that over. Uh, I do not own a record player, but- You can find the record on Spotify, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I need to get called I, Jack I, the yeah. Jack the Radio is the band. I feel like as a millennial I'm required to own a vinyl player. I had one in college and I had a, a really extensive record collection, but I was collecting, not to like sound like an asshole, but I was collecting before the vinyl boom. So uh, I ended up like not working for an entire year in college and just selling my record collection once it took off and made like four or five thousand dollars. And <laughs> yeah, so uh, I just haven't started purchasing records again since then because I was just like, God, it's just another thing for me to collect and it's going to take up space. I don't know why I said yeah, that. I mean, I think I dipped my toes in vinyl a couple of years. Like, God, this might have been around the same time you were doing it. I mean, it was inevitable. Like, that's all punk bands were doing were like seven inches and shit. You right. had to if you wanted to hear the shit. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I had, I think it started because of Boris. This was mm-hmm. like, yeah, so this had to have been like 2006 or 2007 when I was like way into Boris and picked up oh, all yeah. of their like limited vinyl releases. And if you were collecting records around that time, you knew all about Southern Lord and all of their like oh, yeah. ridiculous <laughs> fucking editions. Uh, so, 200 on smoke coffin yeah, vinyl. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, I was one of those fucking simps that had uh, a bunch of those records. I think now I only have like great, one though, or two production wise. Yeah, no, they were all really well done. They looked beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I gave up vinyl collecting. I mean, I already collect enough shit. Yeah, I don't sure. need to collect yeah, vinyl. Same. Like I, I collect VHS. Like what? How fucking stupid is that? So, <laughs> and I have cassettes. Yeah. I have like a small music cassette collection. Also stupid. What the fuck is the point of that? But I will say mm-hmm. that they're cheaper. That's nice. Yeah. I can buy a bunch of VHS or a bunch of cassettes for way cheaper than if I were to collect vinyl or fucking Laserdisc, because I know there's some hardcore Laserdisc fans. Laserdisc. Laserdisc fans. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a nice package, this this vinyl. And uh, yeah, I mean, eventually I'll listen to it. Yeah. But like you said, I can I can find it online. And you can too, if you want. Yeah. Jack the Radio on uh, Spotify. They're at Jack the Radio Music on Instagram. And yeah, if uh, you do want to send us things, we're going to make this a little easier. Um, you know, I know before we were asking everybody, if, well, we weren't asking. If you wanted to send us stuff, we were requiring everybody to send it to JB and I. We we're going to streamline that process and you can just send two copies of your book to my address and I will once a month, once every couple weeks, be sending them to JB. Uh, we will continue shouting you out on the show, plugging your Instagram and where to get the book. If you send us something, we actually do look at everything. Uh, we enjoy getting, you know, physical comics in the mail and, you know, just uh, enjoy the medium in general. So you can send it to us. Uh, hit us up at Gutter Boys Pod on Instagram or Twitter. We'll hook you up with an address and we'll shout you out on the show and post a picture of it on our social media as well. Uh, thanks to everybody that sent us stuff. Oh, well, yeah, is that also it? shout out to my friend yeah. Jen for pointing me to where to get that Versace Sopranos shirt with the uh, Furio mm. on it. Was it Jen, uh, comics Jen Woodall? Uh, no, 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 no. This is a friend of mine who lives in Gainesville. She does not make comics, but she just is a Sopranos supporter. So, 
Hell yeah. Shout out Jen. So yeah. Uh, does that do yeah, it? Yeah, I think that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, yeah. let's get... We got Call of Duty to yeah, play. We got so we gaming um, to do. So uh, yeah. while we do that, you go ahead and uh, get yourself comfy and listen to our interview with RJ Casey, uh, which will be right after this break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Floodland brings together a series of personal and natural disasters featured in comics by Australian cartoonist and cult hero Jonathan McBurney. Beginning with the protagonist's chronic illness, it relates a long period of bizarre artistic practices, awkward art school relationships, the brutal reality of the 9 to 5 grind of the submerging artist, and culminates in the massive flood in his hometown. The peripheral characters whose lives orbit the same places and occasionally overlap through mundane circumstances include Basquiat, an artist cum superhero whose successes are vastly out of proportion with his talents, Picasso Minotaur, a brawny beefcake sculptor with fire in his belly and hate in his heart, and Kirby Kelly, a hapless and constantly flummoxed experiment gone wrong. Floodland is a 96-page hardcover available from ArgleBargleBooks.com. Check out JonathanMcBurney.com and at King underscore of underscore nails on Instagram for more beefcake, wrestling, and existential conundrums. Soggy Landing is a tropical island destination full of magic and adventure. Soggy Landing. Soggy Landing's parlors serve the grog of your dreams. So soggy, so strong. Soggy Landing's board of tourism warns, Wizards not welcome. Any wizards will be summarily executed. No warlocks either. Soggy Landings Punch and Judy show you the part when Miss Piggy and Kermit fall. What in the world? Soggy Landing is a webcomic that you can read at studygroupcomics.com. Come to Soggy Landing. There's There's plenty plenty to do in the rain. This program is brought to you in part by a generous donation of $12 by the Michael Sweater Foundation for the Arts. At Michael Sweater Foundation for the Arts, we are committed to supporting stuff that rocks. Michael Sweater encourages you to also sign up for the Gutter Boys Patreon and to buy the latest issue of Strangers, Bubbles, and other zines about comics. Also, please make more zines about comics and comics history. It doesn't even have to be good. Also, Silver Sprocket rules. Journey into the Unknown. Worlds Unknown is a brand new independent comics anthology brought to you by Chemical Garden Press, and it's live now on Kickstarter. The book was created by cartoonist Gavin Mackey and features nine incredible artists with vastly diverse styles and stories. You can grab this beautiful 92-page paperback for only $9 plus shipping. A steal. They also have a bundle that comes with a beautifully illustrated exclusive shirt that you won't be able to buy anywhere else. You don't want to miss it. Back the project today by looking up Worlds Unknown on Kickstarter. Hope to see you there. To keep up to date on the anthology, follow at Chemical Garden Press on Instagram. Now, back to our program.
and welcome back from the break. Today, we are here with special guest, Yeti Press co-founder and previous editor who just wrapped up his tenure on the Comics Journal and uh, had some other books there, Fantagraphics, uh, RJ Casey. What's up, dude? Hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when you, uh, you know, like as a comics fan before I started cartooning, I remember when you started uh, following the account. I was like, oh, shit, there's somebody that works at Fantagraphics following the account now. And I was like, should we tone it down? I mean, of course we didn't. But I remember like, you know, for a split second there being like, oh, okay. But no, I'm actually happy to have you on. I feel like we've uh, been talking about this for a few months now. So it's good to actually finally make it happen. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I I listen to your guys pod all the time. You've had some killer episodes lately, too. You got... Noah, Max, I just listened to those recently. Hell yeah. So where are you? uh, Are you in Seattle still? I'm in Tacoma, Washington, which is like 40 miles outside, south of Seattle. Oh, okay. And were you commuting to the Fantagraphics office or working remotely? No, I was, well, when when COVID happened, we all worked remotely. But before that, I was driving in every day. Were you working at the house, the Fantagraphics house? Oh, yeah. Yeah. First room. I always thought that was like so funny because like, you know, it's such a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It doesn't look like it would be like old. (laughs) Okay. You said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like funny because if you Google the address, it's like, you know, the majority of independent cartoonists want to work at this place. (laughs) It just looks like this condemned house. I've always thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. Parts of it, parts of it are, are nicer than others, but parts of it do feel condemned while you're in there. Does anybody live there or is it just business only? There are uh, on the top floor, like in the attic, there is a rental property that people live in um, because because oh, okay. the area is like you have to have uh, work and living space. So they rent out that attic to people so we can stay in that neighborhood. Oh, OK. Makes sense. Gotcha. Hell yeah. So uh, you did just let's just go ahead and get the hard question out of the way. Uh, why'd you leave? Uh that's kind of a multifaceted answer. I left because of the last, whatever it was, year and a half of uh, our existence. I probably wouldn't have left without COVID happening and my, my son's daycare closing down and just me kind of having a breakdown uh, for a few months. of Just like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life and how do I want to raise, now we have two sons, so how do I want to raise the two kids? So I left so I could stay at home with the two kids while I could give them some stability while the rest of the world crumbles, basically. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Do you uh, plan to work in comics again or do you think that chapter of your life's over? I don't know. I want to stay at home with my two sons until they, at least they go, like start going to everyday elementary school. Mm-hmm. So who knows in like six or seven years what the comic industry even looks like then. Right. It's hard to say whether I want to go back into it or not. I'd still like to, I'm still able to like dip my toes in because I still have so many friends in the industry and still have so many former coworkers, but I'm pretty much retired at this point. Yeah. Do you have like uh, plans to pursue anything else in the distant future? I don't know. I was, a few years ago, I did a zine. I did three issues of my zine called Shirt Cannon, which was like the comics journal, but about sports mascots. And Hell yeah. <laughs> And if I have time, I may do another issue of that. But that's like, that's just me doing it for free on my own, bugging people who are professional mascots and trying to interview them. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wanted to be pretty much retired, but I just read this this awesome comic called Francis Bacon by E.A. Bethia, which I think is published by Domino Books or maybe self-published and distributed by them. But I just read that recently. I'm like, maybe I should get back into interviewing and writing because it was I was blown away by it. So we'll see. I'll probably write for the site eventually because... I still keep a contact with Tucker Stone over at TCJ.com. 
Hell yeah. Is there plans to continue the comics journal now that, uh, you know, you've left? Because I know you were heading that new uh, reiteration of it. Yeah, I was co-editing with Christy Valenti over there with uh, Gary Groff as the editor-in-chief. Um, yeah, they just hired Rachel Miller, Dr. Rachel Miller from Ohio, and she took my job. So I was kind of involved in the interviewing process before I left to be the other co-editor. So I'm happy to see where they take that. Now, you know, kind of going back to when you started, you know, before Fanagraphics, uh, you started there, I believe I read in 2015. Before that, you were doing Yeti Press. Uh, was that your first venture into comics? How did you get into comics? Like, kind of tell us your story of how you arrived at the dance. Yeah, I probably had like a similar growing up in comics as I, I figure like we're probably around the same age. I'm, I'm 34. So, you know, I watched the Star Wars or the, the Spider-Man and the, the X-Men cartoons and had like mm-hmm. a local comic shop growing up where I would get like the X-Men comics and Silver Surfer comics. And I, I found Bone when it was still uh, self-published and I was really into that as a kid. I was kind of a terrible reader until like second or third grade. Like I couldn't read a single word and Bone kind of taught me how to read. So oh, okay, cool. Shout out Jeff Smith. But from there, I just keep kept reading, reading comics until about high school. Or I decided to be like a, a normal person, and, uh, <laughs> you know, like played football and like had friends and stuff. And I didn't get back into comics until probably middle of uh, like undergrad where, you know, things like blankets and stuff were handed to me. And I'm like, oh, OK, I can get back into this. And then didn't feel like I should start like writing comics or publishing comics until a few years later in 2011, I think, is when Yeti Press started. And were you always based in Washington? Like, have you? Are you from Washington, or did you I'm move from, there? I'm originally from Naperville, Illinois. Oh, oh okay, shit. cool. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, that explains the the Bulls fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how we haven't like crossed paths before, either of you guys. That's We've probably been in the same rooms many times. Oh yeah, more than oh, likely. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. So I'm from Naperville, Illinois. Originally went to undergrad in a small college in Western Michigan, and then moved back to be a teacher in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois. And Ooh, then shout out Schaumburg. Oh yeah, Woodfield Mall. <laughs> <laughs> and then went, uh, I lived in Avondale, like on, on Western Ave in Chicago for a few years before moving out here to Seattle. Damn. Now, did you, you know, as far as like a formal education, did you go to school for like, you know, uh, you know, writing or anything like that? Sort of. I, I got a double major in undergrad in uh, elementary education and English. So there was some writing involved, but... Hell yeah. JB, you're from Chicago, right? I actually know. I'm originally from Florida. Okay. I moved to Chicago in 2012 after I got my BFA in Tampa. Okay. I was there for about eight years, I think. And then uh, now I recently just moved to Ankeny, Iowa, which is basically like 15 minutes outside of Des Moines. Okay. Are you a big Slipknot fan? (laughs) <laughs> not really, uh, to be honest. I'm not a new metal guy. Not even ironically. Hey, Slipknot's more than new metal. <laughs> That's true. It's a lifestyle. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a family. It's kind of like ICP. That's right. So let's get a little controversial here, uh, RJ, with <laughs> you right. being from the Midwest, but also relocating to, uh, you know, Tacoma, Seattle area. Who's got the better comic scene, uh, Midwest or Seattle, uh, oh, West I Coast? Mean, Midwest, Chicago. Okay. No, no question. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I think the best cartoonists are in the Midwest. I think it's the uh, inability to do as much as you can in a big city. So I think uh, more creative comics come out. That's not an official theory that's proven or anything. Just, you know, something that I think of. Um, but I agree. I used to, like, when I lived in Chicago and was, was doing Yeti Press and everything, we used to go to, like, parties. And there, there'd be people who were very indie DIY zine people. And at the same parties, there would be, like, 
Ivan Brunetti, and then there'd be some like mainstream people. And I don't know, I think that's very special in terms of the Chicago scene, just like commingling of all this. And I, that you don't see that really, at least not in Seattle. I was going to say anywhere else, but not in Seattle. No, I, I agree. Yeti? I agree yeah, with that. No, I was going to say, I mean, having lived in Chicago for that long, you definitely see a lot of cross-pollination between uh, small press and sort of like, I guess, the big two. Yeah. I mean, I remember just like running in the Chris Ware at a restaurant once and being like, hey, I do Yeti Press and I'm in the comics and just wanted to say hi. And he's like, oh, I've heard you guys. Like, and you wanted to chat with me, which doesn't seem like you could get that anywhere else. Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, totally. And Chris Ware is like, yeah. I feel like you're not a real cartoonist in Chicago until you run into Chris Ware. I actually uh, just heard a story in our Discord where uh, a cartoonist that was posting in there ran into a Chris Ware at a party like last weekend for the opening of the museum. And there were, Chris Ware was like, hey, I like your tattoo. I won't say who it was, but uh, I'll tell you all <laughs> off air. Um. <laughs> for, for as much shit as Chris Ware gets, there's no one who's like more supportive of young cartoonists, especially in the Midwest yes. than he is. Yeah, I agree with that. He's super nice and it seems to be like genuinely interested in, in kind of like supporting new creators. Yeah. Here's here's a, a secret about all those guys like Chris Ware and Daniel Klaus and Charles Burns. Actually, I'm not sure about Charles Burns, but definitely Klaus and, and Ware is that they are very much keeping up with a lot of like the drama happening in comics from behind the scenes. They just don't have like social media, but they read it all. Right. Yeah, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got their eyes. I hope so. Yeah. They very much have opinions like, on it, but they're not they're not uh tweeting it. Yeah. Yeah. Those dudes like seem very like <laughs> elusive and I almost like they almost have like they give off this like aura that they don't even like they're so detached from the scene because they're so quiet, you know, but that's cool to find out that they're just as involved, I guess, as us. Yeah. yeah. I think they're just old and have families and work a ton. Right. So. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I think <laughs> yeah. they're just being older and not being so plugged into the internet as everyone else. Yeah. Did you, with Yeti Press, I mean, I was looking, and it's funny because I have a couple of the books. Uh, you were publishing a lot of, you know, friends of the show, you know, Andrea Bell, uh, yeah. Kevin Budnick, yeah. David Alvarado. Those were all Chicago cartoonists. Were you trying to showcase local talent with Yeti Press? or Because uh, I wasn't familiar with everyone else, but I was definitely familiar with, you know, those books, and those are some books that I have. Um, were you trying to keep Yeti Press, like, localized to the Midwest, or what was the mission with It definitely was at that? the start. Um, my co-founder, Eric Rosner, went to... Um, Went to Columbia College, uh, downtown Chicago. And a lot of our people that you just mentioned there um, were all graduates of Columbia too. So like Mm -hmm. our talent pool basically at the beginning was like the best people coming out of Columbia because Eric had that in. And we kept it that way for a while until we kind of branched out. I only did a a couple books with people who weren't from Chicago, but we did about 30 comics and books in like the five or six years that we were around from 2011 to like 2016 or 17. And like 90% of them have Chicago ties. Oh yeah. Shout out to Eric. Really good dude. Yeah. I wish he, you know, I wish he did more comics and drew more, but that's been, you know, that's been our argument from since 2011 anyway. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's doing like uh, clothing merch now, right? Or he was. Yeah, he's, do- he's doing some clothing with his animals on it. And he's kind of doing it. He did a web comic for a while. I mean, that guy can draw animals better than anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when we started, I kind of viewed Yeti Press when we started as like the minor leagues for everyone. I was like, here's the, the first stepping stone for everyone involved. And Mm-hmm. It kind of worked because like everyone you mentioned, plus like you mentioned Andrea Bell and, and Kevin and David Alvarado have all done like amazing things. Like Andrea is being published by First Second and Andrews McMeal right now. She's like a real deal bookstore person. Right. Yeah. Cat Lay, who we published, went on to like Lumberjanes and she's got a First Second book out. So like everyone we published 
is is going on to excellent things right now. And it feels good that we just got out, didn't drag anyone down. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the decision, like what was the main factor in the decision to close up shop at Yeti Press? It was getting harder after I moved out here to Seattle, Mm -hmm. just to communicate with Eric and get everything going. I don't know. I think I think it was just like a good ending point. You know, we we had money at the end. Like we weren't we didn't go bankrupt. We just decided this was the time. We ended at Cake because that was like our home show. Mm-hmm. And I took all the Yeti Press artists out to a Mexican restaurant and bought like pitchers of margaritas for three hours with the money we had left over. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> and then I, I gave everyone their like the rest of the inventory. Like I gave everyone the rest of the books that we had in stock and be like, you can sell these whatever you want to do with them. And then I came home and I gave everyone like a bonus of a hundred dollars that we had in the bank. And then I just <laughs> nice. closed the, closed the site. Wow. <laughs> that went out in a good way. Yeah. Creator yeah. friendly, you know, you got to have some fun. So yeah, hell yeah, that's props for that. That's definitely a better ending than most small press publishers. I know. <laughs> right. I know. And I, you know, we were aware of that as we were kind of like running on fumes at the end. And we're like, just, just kill it. Just kill it. Everyone's doing well. We haven't burned bridges <laughs> with anyone. Let's just end it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go out on top. Do you miss it? Not really. I miss seeing a lot of those people and like talking with a lot of those people. Uh, but I don't. I don't miss talking with printers all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, get into the fanographic stuff a little more. How did you transition from Yeti Press to uh, working as an editor? I'm assuming there was just like an opening. Actually, I uh, well, all during Yeti Press, I was uh, also an elementary school teacher in Schaumburg okay. in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So Yeti Press was just kind of what I did at night and on the weekends and stored everything in a closet in my apartment. But after five years of teaching, I was kind of like, I was burnt out. Like the statistic for elementary school teachers is five years. And I was like, well, I'm a statistic now. <laughs> right. <laughs> my girlfriend at the time was now my wife was finishing physical therapy or doctor program at Northwestern in Chicago while we were there. And mm-hmm. she's like, I could basically go anywhere. I could get a job anywhere that has an opening. And I applied for a Fanographics internship. So I left my 10-year teaching job and moved to Seattle for an unpaid internship. Living the dream. Dumb as as hell. Yeah, dumb as hell. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, it ended up working out for you. So Yeah, let um, let me spin it. Let me spin it. I could say, I bet on myself. There you go. across the country. There you go. Yep. You pulled yourself (laughs) by your bootstraps. That's right. (laughs) So was it, uh, was the internship um, like editorial focused or was it? It was was an editorial office. It was basically just working under Christy Valenti, who then later became my coworker and co-editor on the journal. Okay. Hell yeah. Some of the questions that we got for you ask about the editing process. So we'll get into that towards the end, but I do want to get into your tenure at the comics journal as well. But before we do that, were there any, you know, specific projects editing wise that, you know, you're very proud of, uh, you know, ones that when you got them, you were like, hell yeah, you know, that was me. Yeah, def- there's, there's two series I like a lot, which is uh, the George Harriman library, which mm-hmm. two books came out while I was editing them, but I did tons and tons of work behind the scenes that will hopefully pay off in the coming decade. And the Spain Rodriguez series that was edited by Patrick Rosencrantz, and I got to edit the three of those books uh, with him. Those are, are definitely my the, favorite projects. The letter books that are coming out right now with the Spain series? Were you on those? Like, What do you mean? 
they have like the letters on the spot or the vo- the yeah. new volumes is that yeah. the ones you're working yeah. on okay they, cool the spa are out right now and there's two yeah. more yep yeah. yeah i did i worked with patrick rosencrantz on those three spain rodriguez is one of my favorite cartoonists ever and patrick is kind of like a hero to me so working with those was was a pleasure but i did i mean when you're a fan of graphics you do tons of tons of everything uh right. rarely are people just like one I was I was editor for like a short time there, just like the last few years. But before that, when I got hired on, I was under rights and operations, which I'm like doing air quotes because it was like a made up term for my job when I got hired on. <laughs> I was interning there for like probably close to eight, nine months. And I was like, I, I don't know what I wanted to do. Like I wanted them to just be like, come on, like we'll start paying you tomorrow. But I just I was just working there like every other day and our money was running out. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Katrin, who is a co-founder of Fanographics and an editor there, he came in one day and he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And I was like, gave a checklist of all the projects I was doing because I thought he wanted to ask like, oh, do you have time to proofread this? And uh, he's like, no, what are, the, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here every day? And I, I talked with him and I was like, yeah, maybe I should like be proactive about this. So I set up a meeting with Gary the next day and asked for a job and he gave it to me. Hell yeah. Nice. So at that point, you know, I guess he was willing to pay you. Uh, and all you had to do is ask. So, I mean, did you feel that <laughs> Did you feel that you were gaining like experience like all through that internship that inevitably helped you? Like was yeah, it? Definitely, over, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's still like internship busy work, but the majority of the stuff helped me throughout my time there mm-hmm. and just learning how to work with everybody there and learning how everything works and goes. So when I got the job, I was rights and operations, which basically meant that I was given Gary's and uh, Kim Thompson's filing cabinets of international rights and other things and told like, you need to figure this out and organize this. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a terrible experience? It sounds like No, actually, I love that shit. Um, Okay. (laughs) I could make like uh, Excel spreadsheets all day and be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So it was just going through everything. And then I became the manager of international rights. So up until I left in February of 2021, I was doing international rights, which was uh, pitching our books to publishers around the world to hope that they wanted to translate them. Okay. So how does that work? Because I know Fanographics does the flip side of that, where they'll translate work into English. So does Fanographics retain those rights overseas? Because usually when you see a a foreign edition, it's always a different publisher. Yeah. Yeah. We get, we get a cut of the, Fanographics would get a cut of the um, like signing bonus, basically, like how much it costs to like sign the book. And then the artist would get all the royalties. But I did that for five years. I love that part of the job. I also did uh, digital distribution. So I worked with like Comixology and Hoopla from the libraries and made sure all our books were good to go in there. I was a submission editor while I was there. So like I read every submission that came in, probably like five a day. Mm-hmm. So I did, some, uh, I did I did behind table stuff for like shows. So I'm just saying like I, everyone does everything there. Um, so you were actually reading all the submissions that Fanographics would receive? I would go, yeah, I would open them. Sometimes, okay. <laughs> I, sometimes I would be scared to open them. Like I was going to get like anthraxed. <laughs> so, because I mean, if I'm not mistaken and I could be wrong, solicitations are closed, right? You're not supposed to mail no, stuff. To- uh, we are open. Uh, Fanographics is always open to pitches and solicitations. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. They just have to be physical. Okay. Gotcha. Because someone is actually looking at them. I don't know who it is now, but someone is looking at them. Mm, they're about to get so an influx here. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, there there was there was probably like five to ten every single day that came in the mail, and some were like just like 
I've got this idea. And it was like one, one page. And like, yeah. Oh, I can't do anything for you. I can't do it. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's like totally, it's like whenever writers come up to you and yes. they're like, I've got an idea for a comic. It's like, you know, the nice way to do it. There's a way to be nice now about it. And it's just like, okay, come back to me with a script. I'll be happy to read it. Cause you know, nine times out of 10, there's no script and there never will be a script. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say that's very nice. Cause I'm not reading that either. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Cause it's probably well, not going to be good. The, <laughs> well, the thing is, it's deflecting because you know you're not going to get that script. And but I mean, you know, but so has anybody and you don't have to name names. What's the success rate of a cold submission getting a book at Fantagraphics? It's low. It's very low. Mm-hmm. But there has been times. I mean, there was there was some times before me and there was some times while I was there that it did happen. Hmm. But I would I would open all the envelopes. I'd take a look. And mainly, I would just look for art. Um, right. If it was just writing, I would toss it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if it if it had art, I would I would like just kind of browse through all the pages. And if anything stood out, then I would like put it to a side and I would make time to read it. Hmm. But I mean, that was that was rare. Most of the time, it didn't get read either. <laughs> <laughs> Are you getting a lot of like indie material, or is it a lot of like superhero it's shit? All over the place. It's all over the place. Okay. There was some some people are like, oh, they they gave it to us because they know what Fantagraphics publishes, and maybe they're just not ready yet, or maybe they just don't have the talent, but the, at least they know us. There were other times where it's just like, oh, you sent this to every person that you could find an address for, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we would get a lot from like people who are clearly like maybe unstable or very old and want to be like, I wrote these gags, <laughs> like it, like it was, you know, like. When there was like Stag magazine, you know, it was like magazines that would print like men's gags. Right. Like yeah. They're looking for that sort of thing. So if it, if it was a really, really good, I would uh, contact them back. Or I'd probably go to Eric Reynolds and be like, hey, this is pretty good. Should I contact them? And then I'd email them. And that happened probably like four or five times in my five years there. Hmm. But the, the, the last one that was great was uh, Eight Lay Runaways by Henry McCausland. He sent us the, the self-published copies and I emailed him back that day and I was like, this is amazing. I pitched it to Eric and it was published uh, and nominated for an Eisner this year. Wow. Okay. That was the the book about the track, right? The, yeah, yeah. The runners it's, on the track. Yeah, that was a good book. Yeah. yeah, I love it. But that's that's probably the most recent just cold submission success story. So it happens. All right. Hell yeah. Yeah, so, really flood them. Flood them with mail, all the <laughs> listeners out there. I'm, I'm no longer doing it, so flood them. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are going to so, get some hey, really unhinged packages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Littered with anthrax. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was one guy, uh, I'll just tell a story. There was one guy who a lot of people were like, can you send this back to me? And in our in our like submissions thing, our website, we're like, we're not sending anything back. So don't send original art. Just don't expect a response. And if it happens, great. But there were some people who were like, can you send this back to me? And no, I just... I. Didn't find the time to do it. Yeah. Imagine you have like five comics that you just send out to different editors that always get sent back to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one person last year, or I guess two years ago, emailed customer service and was like, hey, I put track on this and it says it came like a month ago. I never heard back. <clears throat> and, and customer service is like, sorry, that's just how submissions go here. The guidelines don't expect it back. And he goes, well, you know, it, it was one of my only copies. I need it back. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. And then about two days later, came to the office, knocked on oh, the door. Oh, no. And I was like, you got my submission. Uh, my name is so-and-so. Can I, I need that comic back. And I answered the door and I was like, I, it, someone took it home. 
Bro, someone's someone's currently reading it. Someone's took it home. I would have just given them a map to the nearest dump. <laughs> <laughs> so here you go. Good luck. <laughs> fucking idiot. Did that happen often? Did people stop by the office often? Not often. It happened a few times. And I worked in the front in the front room with Christy Valenti. So I would, I'm glad I, I answered the door a couple times because people could be really aggressive and I'm like a fairly large guy and I'd stand in the doorway and not let anyone in. <laughs> but a lot of times people come and be like, this is the Fantagraphic store, right? And I'm like, no, that's, that's a completely different location. Sorry. I just can't imagine like going in a neighborhood and being like, this is the bookstore, right? Right in the middle of all these houses. <laughs> Actually, there's a in Nashville, there was a place called uh, Brain Freeze Comics for a while, and it was in a uh, record store and uh, like they just rented out a portion of it. And it was actually in a neighborhood in a house, believe it or not, like you, you go. go in there and browse. So I guess it's not too far off. But yeah, it's not it's not like an immediate reg- like you don't register immediately. Oh, this is a store. <laughs> yeah. A couple of people posted uh, posted submissions, like taped them on the door of the office. It's like, don't do that, please. Yeah. <laughs> Just show up. It's like the scene in Batman Forever where the Riddler <laughs> puts the uh, the riddle on the gates of Wayne Manor. Just like you can't even open the gate unless you get the submission. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get into questions, though, because I think a lot of that will end up going off into different avenues with the questions. Is there anything you want to touch base on, RJ, or you want to ask? I got questions for you guys. Oh, well, let's do that then before we get into (laughs) listener questions. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, questions for you. No, I was I was like prepping in my mind for this for this interview, getting myself nervous because I haven't talked to another adult other than a two year old (laughs) and a four uh, three year old and a a four month old for like weeks. (laughs) <laughs> no what uh what is pimp digest i've never seen one so what's in it oh i'll send you mm. one dude uh it's uh it's literally just like a patreon progress zine to an extent like we'll both put like comics we're working on or drawings in them and usually there's an interview with the creator that's just like five questions but it's essentially just like a way to give a physical incentive to uh patrons um, but it's just a little 12 page zine of uh, stuff we're working on and some writings and stuff. Yeah. Uh, here's another question for you guys. Do you guys have any interest in doing like comics, right? Like writing about comics, like in a journalism sense oh. outside this podcast? Uh, Cam, probably. <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah. would. I don't know about JB, but I definitely would. I think because it would, it you, would guys, you guys are good at being, you know, muckraker gadflies on this podcast. You know, <laughs> you're not afraid to talk shit. That's, that's why I like it and listen to it. But, uh, just speaking from like experience editing and writing for TCJ, like a lot of people who talk shit online or on Twitter, like once you go like, hey, could you expand this and like really hash out your thoughts? They'll go, oh, no, I, I don't want like they'll, they'll back off immediately or right. be afraid of some repercussions. But I feel like you guys have uh, you guys could do that if you wanted to. Yeah, I would uh I would love to do that. I just figured that I was uh quote unquote too problematic <laughs> to get published anywhere. Um because I mean, you know, I'm glad that you know, it makes me happy cuz like a lot of people, it's really funny cuz I don't know if you get these JB, but a lot of like quote unquote higher profile creators will like DM us being like, "Yo, this shit's funny. I can't say it out loud like you all, but this shit's funny." Like, you know, and they'll they like the show and they like the shit talk, but then you also have like the editors or watching crowd. And I don't mean like you. I don't I don't know if you saw that going around rj with the dc editor on uh, 
right, Twitter. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, and then you have that where like they just want to police everybody. So it's like, in some people's eyes, like we're just like so toxic. But I don't really think we're <laughs> quote unquote toxic. But long answer short, if anybody wants to pay me or uh, host, uh, you know, that writing, I'm game. So any listeners out there, okay. I'm open to criticism was, writing. Every, every the five issues I did of the Comics Journal print version, there was probably one each issue where I was pitching writers and artists like, hey, you said this once. Would you like to expand this because it kind of fits our theme? And it was uh, controversial takes. And they would say, oh, no, I, I can't do that. <laughs> what do you think it was like, like each issue? I think I think people were... Um, we call those cowards. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> some people had probably good reasons, but yeah, other other people were probably cowards. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was wondering. It's like, did you? Did they just not feel like they had the ability to write, or is it that they were scared? So it sounds like uh, they were scared. They were yeah. scared because we went after intentionally. I get this can come up later in the questions too, but we went after people intentionally who weren't writers for our journals with the intention of like guiding them and being real editors uh, and helping them along the way. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't because we didn't have their backs. Uh. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's examples of people, I think, being approached for stuff like that and actually following through with it. Like our friend uh, Artyom, he he was on a crusade. I mean, he still is on a crusade against NFTs and kind of like being very critical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there you go. Yeah, he ended up writing for the journal. uh, He wrote for TCJ.com. Yes, yeah, yes. That was great. Mm -hmm. Great I reached out afterwards and I'm like, good luck with all the comments. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, luckily, I don't think that changed much. (laughs) I think he had the same amount of angry crypto nerds. So, yeah. Yeah. He uh, he's like on the verge of getting doxxed every 10 minutes. So, uh. (laughs) (laughs) but that's the stuff when I was editing the journal. I'm like, we need guys like that who are willing to like put it all out there. And we got some, but a lot of people back down. But he'd be definitely if I was still editing, he'd be someone on my radar that I'd want to write that I want him to write for me again. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to look at like why that is, like comics has the worst case of Stockholm Syndrome that I've ever seen. (laughs) Like people that work in this industry are so afraid of speaking up and just happily eating shit every day. And it's just like it warps your brain if you do that for so long. So uh, I'm not too surprised to hear that many people are kind of like unwilling to flesh out sort of their grievances with the industry. Yeah, especially mainstream people. I thought oh, there's a yeah, there's yeah. a Marvel writer and a Dark Horse writer who were on board for a minute to do some things that would ruffle feathers and backed off. Of course not. No, I mean, especially, I mean, give an example of like Dark Horse. It's like shit, like literally your boss is a sex predator and, and yeah. the company protected <laughs> him for years. Yeah. So you think speaking up about something is going to do you any good for your little shit career? No. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's like one thing that we try to make clear is like, we just don't give a fuck on this show. Like, but a lot of people do. But I just realized like me personally, I don't want to work for any of those places where I'm not allowed to say what I think and, you know, uh, vocalize, you know, my support for creators rights and better conditions and comics, you know, so why do I want to work for a place that tries to put that down, you know? Yeah. yeah, and it's not even I like mean, you're making got, a ton of money too doing that. Right, right. No, I got yeah. I got uh, more confident in talking shit online and writing stuff for TCJ.com when I got the job at Fanographics because I'm like Gary and Eric Reynolds are going to have my back on this. They don't care what I write about. No, so. Nice. Yeah. 
that is one thing, you know, like I'm a, I'm a simp for fanographics, you know, I just think like, you know, the, the tagline world's greatest comics or whatever the fuck, you know, I think that's true. I think that like they are putting out the most interesting comics as far as like North American publishers are concerned. But I do like that even if you criticize fanographics, they'll still give you the platform to do that. Yeah. Like, uh, which is an I mean, interesting that's, that's dynamic. What they were, that's what they were built on. I mean, Barry right. Groff was doing that when he was in his teens and he's still doing it. So, I mean, that's. I think that's highly valued in opinions of people there and highly valued from everyone who works there and can be problematic when you work there, too, because everyone wants to have arguments all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So overall, uh, office culture, good, bad in the middle? I think fairly good. I think fairly good. It it changes because there's turnover in some positions all all the time. But Uh um, in terms of like editors and and PR marketing, I think uh, on the majority, very good. Hell yeah. Cam, are you still buying trading cards? Uh man, the market's too crazy right now. Um, why is the market crazy? Can you? <laughs> it's too hot. You can edit all. You can edit all this out. But why is it a hot market for trading cards? Why? Is no, like, we the cards are back. Markets, yeah, because cards why are back. Target, we'll leave it like, in. It's not trading cards or not selling trading cards because people are harassing Target employees. I've, I've got all the answers. Okay, here so, we go. Um, here we go. Here's the here's the trading card scoop. So here's what happened. Cards, just like comics, is a silical market to where, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but it's always at a circle. Like it's going to reach a high point, but it's going to, you know, hit the low point and it's going to come back around. So what had happened is, I guess, with the pandemic, people were bored again. So they started buying cards all over the place. They didn't have the stock to fulfill the amount of people wanting to buy the stuff. So the hobby just got reignited. Uh, So, you know, you go to Target or Walmart and you would get a blaster box, which is like seven packs for 20 bucks. You could immediately put that on eBay if it was NBA or NFL and get 120 to 150 to 200, depending on the product, (laughs) as long as it was sealed, just because of the scarcity of it. So now, uh, instead of like, you know, I guess like overprinting Panini, who's like the main card company or whatever, there's Upper Deck and Panini, but Panini is like now getting into like, like, I guess it's similar to like, I guess like an artist edition card and like these special cards and they've become their own vendor. But Target got crazy because, you know, people were going in there and like literally camping out. Like uh, when I was on the hunt forum, I knew that a Walmart near me always got stocked on Friday mornings, but so did like seven other people. So it was like, you know, as soon as they put them out, people were just grabbing shit. So you, you were there. You were lined up with these people. Uh, I don't. OK, so I lined up one time and then I realized I didn't get anything like, okay. you know, I, I just didn't. So who I are started. The people, who are the people there? lined up are these like comics this is the most shameful no 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 so like uh these are like uh 45 and 50 year olds who are making six figures a year some cards are crazy like they have like uh national treasures and uh opulence which are like these premium packs for sports where it's like six cards per pack but like three autographs and they got like really nice jersey swatches and everything sure so those will sell like if you were to get it for retail, it's like 300 bucks, but they're like $3,000. And these are the types of guys that literally will go to the card shop, spend $3,000, hope for a Zion Williams rookie patch auto, but get like a fucking Brandon Clark from the Grizzlies, you know, <laughs> like, and they just pissed away $3,000. So that's the kind of audience you have. It's like card collectors for some reason, just like have a lot of money. They're degenerate gamblers, I think. Okay. But um, yeah, no, I tried to go, Target was doing this thing and I'll wrap this up, but Target was, they tried to do this thing where you could only get cards on Friday. Well, I tried to go that Friday morning and I saw like six dudes outside with chairs and they were there Thursday at like 5 p.m. So it's just that's insane. Yeah, it's it's an insane market and it's only going like it's going crazier. But I think it's going to bottom out soon. Like once the world's kind of opening back up and I think that it's going to kind of bottom out. I don't know. um, That that Delta variant might give them an alley-oop for the card industry. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think it's pandemic brain uh, restarted the card 
uh, craze, I guess. I, is, I mean, uh, I read somewhere that like uh, train hobby stores were selling out of shit too. Like they were running yeah, extremely low on stock. Stuff was being back ordered. So yeah, I mean, it's just people being cooped up in their houses, not really knowing what to do with their time. Yeah, this is like uh, really lame, but like I get my fix now. There's like a guy, I think he's somewhere in Philadelphia or New York or something. His name is Pac-Man. And uh, he just like, you can buy like, they do like raffles and stuff where you pay 150 bucks and it's like randomized what team you get. And he opens like 10 boxes and you get like all the Lakers cards or all the whatever cards like you know, RJ, you would like the Bulls, but you're not guaranteed the Bulls because it's like randomized. But I'll just watch this guy open packs and that's how I get my fixes these days. All right. It's just too expensive for me to. Yeah, that's like a in. whole thing too. Just people streaming opening boxes. Yeah. Pokemon's crazy right now because there's like a $10,000 Charizard card. What? $10,000? Yeah. There's like, so Pokemon have done like, you know, like they used to do like the holographic cards. Yeah. Like, and it was just like a patch that was holographic, right? Like the illustration. Like on the image. There's yeah. a Charizard. Yeah, there's like a rainbow prism Charizard where the whole card is shiny and it's $10,000 if you get one. And if you get it graded, it's more than that. So, <laughs> but that's why people are going crazy over Pokemon right now. Uh, give me your money. Just give me your money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was a uh, shout out to Al or uh, Card Pros. That was the Card Pros segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So we're about to uh, get into that portion of the show where we uh, answer listener questions. And as always, if you want to participate with us, we do put up uh, questionnaires for our guests on our Instagram account at gutterboyspod. Uh, you could also email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, submit us questions for our guests or for us. So we got a few here from both Instagram and the Discord. Uh, starting things off, Cameron Hathaway wrote in two questions and asked, ask him what the craziest thing he saw or experienced during his tenure at Fantagraphics. I'm sure there's a Hanselman story or two. And ask what's the one assumption about Fantagraphics that a lot of people get wrong. Those are good questions. I wish I had like, here's the craziest story, but it's it's basically just like convention or hotel, like weird things that happen with artists. Right. <laughs> Let's see. It's fun. If you want a Hanselman story, I don't have anything like Juicy. Simon and I get along really well. I've been with him a couple times, at least two that I know of where something has happened to us or someone has talked to both of us and then it ends up in one of his comics. That's fun to see. <laughs> Are you guys close enough to be friends so that he gives you an illness? No, I've never been sick like Noah. Noah's big thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, he hangs out at the uh, office a lot, doesn't he? He used to. Yeah, he d- he does. He comes and goes, especially when he's like a, a new book coming out. He wants to be involved in, in the design and you know av- printing process. I don't know. The, my favorite story maybe ever is, I've, I've told this to a few people, but TCAF a few years ago in Toronto, there was a big fanographics group going around. We just had dinner and then we were going to go to a 2D cloud reading that was happening in like the hotel. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with 2D Cloud, but their their readings are consist of you know screaming, interpretive dance. <laughs> Sounds right. Okay. Uh, you, you, know, <laughs> you know, everything but comics, right? Uh, right. Sounds like a Z not dead event. Yeah, exactly. Same people are probably there. So I'm in a group with Simon and Noah and uh, Graham Chaffee, who's a great art, a great fanographics artist. Yeah, I wish you'd do another two, book. Tattoo artist in L.A. and uh, Gary Panter is there and. Like the third person who reads or reads in quotes, you know, they're they're screaming or they're dancing or writhing on the ground. And, and <laughs> Gary sits, Gary Panter sits back in his seat and goes, "I can't decipher any of this." <laughs> and yeah, that sounds about right. Me, yeah, me and, yeah. and Noah and Graham Chaffee like hit the ground laughing so hard because like because <laughs> he's right. 
but also Gary Panter is saying this. <laughs> you know, someone right. who like came up in like conceptual art and and the punk scene. So we had to, we had to leave because we were laughing so hard that like people were turning <laughs> in their chairs. <laughs> 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 That's why it's so funny because like Gary is a uh, artist with the capital A, so for him to not have yeah. anything to contribute on that is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All righty, and uh, the follow up there: what's the one assumption about fanographics that a lot of people get wrong? Let's see. You don't I have to about, answer that if I you don't want. Thought about this a little bit, and I think the the main one, and I don't think this is like a problematic take, but the main one you see, like if you're online or on social media. And someone's trying to like dismiss fanographics. They'll say like, "Oh, it's the old white guy's publisher." Oh yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, "What? Have you not read fanographics since like 1992?" Right. Like, the best-selling book we've ever done is my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. Like, mm-hmm. the best comics that came out from fanographics this year are like Stone Fruit by Lee Lai and A Story Now from Ra- Ra- Raquel Jack. Like, I don't know. I It shouldn't bother me so much, but I was like, I, you obviously don't know. It's just a bad faith argument. So that's my, that's. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's I'm, usually people just still stuck up on our crumb. You know? Yeah. It's, it's the same people that make the argument that, oh, Liefeld can't draw a feet. It's like, okay, dude, get a new argument. That one's been around for three decades, you know, right. <laughs> like. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that's very, you know, I I don't really see that criticism online, but that's also because like, I'm very much so in the bubble. (laughs) Um, So I've seen definitely, I've definitely seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, uh, I was doing some social media stuff a a couple years ago for fanographics Mm -hmm. and I had to step away because I would get in too many fights with people online under like the fanographics Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) I saw they were hiring for that job and I would love to do that job, but I'm not relocating to seattle but um yeah. i would love to do that job just manage fa- but i also would probably just argue with people all day so yeah my, my good friend emily silva is leaving she's in that position now and she does an amazing job so um, i'm anxious to see how they're going to fill her shoes hell yeah another question from the discord from front of the show Jairo Lantigua. he asked does editing comics and dealing with creators at times get you to a point where you start to resent comics i don't resent comics i only resent comic fans there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and I could deal with eccentric artists or grumpy artists. I'm fine with that. But I have a hard time dealing with eccentric and grumpy fans at conventions. Yeah. I think that's understandable. <laughs> I think anybody that's ever tabled at any event can relate to that. So, yeah. yeah. So it was worse. like uh, gotten worse over the years. Like the more the more shows I did, the, the worse I would, the less patient I'd become with a lot of people. As you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, next question came from, everybody's a friend of the show nowadays, but uh, friend of the show, <laughs> Drew Lerman, wrote in. Oh, what yeah. does all- he's a great yeah. cartoonist. Oh, for sure. Love his stuff. Uh, he was just in the last issue of Pimp Digest. Oh, Did yeah. a little interview and had a one-page strip in it, so. And you, you can get earlier. yourself a copy, too, if you're listening, by going to gutterboys.top. There you go. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, Drew Lerman wrote in and asked, what does RJ see as the different philosophy or approach of fanographics versus drawn in quarterly? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's like a valid question in the sense of like, those are the two institutions for independent comics. In America, for sure. Yeah. In America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it drawn quarterly's in Canada, but yeah, North America. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. yeah. I'll try the the, the main difference. I would say this will probably make someone upset at drawn quarterly, but I don't know if they're listening to this. I don't know if anybody uh, does from D&Q actually. 
Fantagraphic seems to like us. Uh, Drawn and Quarterly have only been involved with us when one of their artists was on the show. Ah, okay. okay. So, Fucking yeah. vultures. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I'll just be open about it. Uh, Fantagraphics is more open to taking risks, I think. We're more open to I taking agree. chances and, and falling on our faces if, if we need to to support an artist that we like, but we know is not going to sell a ton of books. And also, there's a difference just because I think Drawn and Quarterly does like 15 to 20 books a year. And Fanagraphics does like 60 to 80. Ooh, right. you hear that, Drawn and Quarterly? You bitch asses. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just a difference in terms of like the marketing strategy and the social media strategy and everything behind the scenes if you can go on 15 books rather than 60, you know? Yeah. From a creator standpoint, just throwing my two cents into the ring, I think that, like you said, Fantagraphics definitely comes off as like more risky. Uh, they seem like they're way more punk and anti-institution, whereas Drawn and Quarterly, uh, this is not a disc because I, I like Drawn and Quarterly, but I feel like Drawn and Quarterly wants to be taken, like not to say they have a complex, but I feel like Drawn and Quarterly wants to be taken as more seriously, wants to be taken more seriously as a book publisher and wants to be talked about in that space where Fantagraphics is like, yeah, we're comics. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I also see Drawn and Quarterly uh, moving into a direction where it seems like they're just trying to put out comics that I call them end cap comics, where you could put them at a Barnes and Noble, like the history of billionaires. Nobody wants to read this shit. I'm sorry. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to read about the, you know, they, like they have, and, a Leonard, like they have a Leonard Cohen biography coming out that definitely made me raise an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, I feel like they're trying to get that mainstream bookstore, like, in cap money. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a direction that, like, I'm happy with. But, you know, whatever. Whatever they do is fine. They still have great artists. Like, it was it was pretty much just me saying, uh, drawn and quarterly, you know, I like them. And when they put out a good book, it's still really good. But yeah. I do feel like they're moving in a questionable direction that seems to be catering towards the mainstream book market. So, at the end of the day, I do feel like they're going to probably make more money, assuming this is successful. But I'm not a super fan of it. I, I mean, I don't even know who that's supposed to appeal to. What the history of billionaires? Well, books like that. Libraries, yeah. libraries, yeah, and exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's like it's like one of those books, like you know, that for libraries like fourth will buy graders them. or what? Like, I don't understand who. What fourth grader gives a shit about Leonard Cohen? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like uh, like public libraries and academic libraries. That's who. That's who's buying all the books. That's wild, yeah. man. Like if I if I worked at a library, that's the last fucking thing I would want to stock. I mean, look at look at uh, look at first second. Look how like ninety percent of their books are the same exact trim size. Yeah, because they because they look good on a shelf. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the format thing that's fine, but like if you're just making a bunch of just like boring biographies and like infographic books, like who is it supposed to? It's not going to make comic readers happy. If you're like a legit literature snob, you're not going to read that either. You know who it's honestly for, and I'm, I'm being dead serious like uh, when I say this, but I feel like a lot of those books are for just like casual fans that also would like not be opposed to buying like a Joe Biden or a RBG like bobblehead from the oh, same yeah, story, okay. you know, like that's who I think that audience is like the, I, I don't even know what to call that. Like Baby that, brains. Like, <laughs> sure. someone, someone, uh, someone you know, rushing through their Christmas shopping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah there's like a couple of unhappy people on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> you like comics, right? Your yeah. mom told me you like comics. <laughs> okay, friend of the show, Mark Beef Jams. Mark Beef Jams. Oh, I know Mark. Oh, I yeah, know Mark. Yeah, he's he's an Illinois boy. Yeah. He asked, what does RJ stand for? And what's your dream Bulls sketch for that dope ass sketchbook? What player and by what cartoonist? RJ stands for Robert Joseph. 
So nothing, nothing too exciting. But you heard it here first. Oh, there you go. There you go. I don't know. I got a. For people who don't know, I have a big commission collection of Chicago Bulls players and that coaches. you've been posting on your Instagram. Yeah, I basically just made my Instagram that because I was tired of social media, so I'm just posting <laughs> Bulls pictures. <laughs> and I try to be conscious of the players' style and how they look, and the artist's style and how they draw, and try to match that up to make something cool. And it's been pretty successful and fun. And expensive, but <laughs> but I don't know. I, I'd like I've, I've held off on uh, Michael Jordan. Oh, so, oh okay. okay. I'd like a Jordan by probably someone who I consider like the Jordan of comics. So I, I go with I go with Gilbert Hernandez. Oh, okay, Damn. okay. And you know he does uh, he does commissions very cheap around the holidays. Sadly, so uh, I know, and I I know Gilbert well enough from just being a fan of graphics. I could probably contact him up and and do it sometimes. I just would have to pull the trigger on it. Right, right. Yeah, hell yeah. You should uh, if you can get the permission. Once you're done with that, you should put out a color zine of that. I think you know it's a very niche market, but I think you could sell them. Oh yeah, yeah. That would definitely sell. <laughs> you know, there's there's definitely enough like people in comics and zines who are like big basketball fans that would be really into that. I and always, tag, the I always tag the players on Instagram. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> uh, responded? Only one. Oh. Only one player, and it was it was Ron Harper from the. Oh the hell Pool. yeah, wow, dude, he was okay. a Laker too. So Bulls. yeah. And uh, do you guys know uh, Adam D'Souza? Yes. Yeah. He did my Ron Harper. He was a painting, and it's amazing. Nice. And hell I, I yeah. Posted that, and I tagged Ron Harper. And Ron Harper went like, LOL, I don't know, man. But you wasn't into it. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not feeling this one. <laughs> All time legend. God damn. That rocks. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's going to be my default response. <laughs> LOL, I don't know, man. <laughs> Alrighty, next question came from Eddie over at Strangers Fanzine. Uh, Eddie said, uh, what was his philosophy as editor of TCJ, and how did he decide what interviews, comics, etc. to curate for each issue? What were some markers that he felt were important to achieve in an issue in order for him to feel like the issue was successful? Those are good questions, and I like that that Strangers Zine. I don't know, I guess when we, when Christy Valenti and I pitched the Comics Journal coming back to Gary, I kind of had like a whole thing ready to go. I wanted to do some recurring columns. I wanted him to do interviews again. I wanted to do a sketchbook page. I wanted to do a short interview. I wanted to do like an important historical piece each issue. And I made like a list of like 200 things we could do on, on a spreadsheet. And we pretty much stuck with them from the very first issue. And 303 was the first issue we co-edited. There was some leftover stuff from the original 303 that was supposed to happen six years before that just never came about. So there's some things that uh, we had to put in there. But other than that, it was all Christy and I basically pitching ideas to each other and to the, the writers that we wanted. I don't know. My The idea that we had was that we wanted it more artist-centric rather than critic-centric. So we wanted every contributor to be mostly uh, newcomers to the magazine. And we wanted the majority of writers to be artists themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what we looked for. So like things that we wanted to work on that the Comics Journal probably didn't do such a good job of in the past, such as like diversity or, or gender parody or et cetera. Those kind of fell into place after you went with the newcomers and the artists. And I think we probably hit our stride all the way at like 305, which was the healthcare issue and then the politics issue. And then the new one that just came out about animation was my last project there. I'm trying to think of 
all the facets of that question. Yeah. We definitely wanted we definitely wanted Gary to do the main interviews again, which uh, in the majority of those issues he did, and we wanted people he, he was excited about interviewing again because he's one of the you know the all time greats at that. But mm-hmm. to get him on board again with the the print journal, we would have to be someone he really wanted. So in all the cases. Those are people you really want. It was Tommy Unger, Simon Hanselman, Roz Chast, and uh, Kathy Malkasian in the in the last issue I did, and then in the the th- the middle issue with the healthcare, Christy and I did the main interviews. I just wanted to get away from the majority issues being reviews mm-hmm. or reha- rehashing old comics or old comic beefs even, and I wanted to talk about the future of comics and what we can learn from the past, and I wanted to to shine light on some things that or forgotten like in each issue we had like a, a historic piece that i don't think had ever been ever been printed previously right i was kind of happy about because then i could kind of flex my journalism muscles a little bit because i had to hunt things down and go through the right channels to get all those things and it, it was fun i liked them a lot especially in the politics issue in 306 we did the uh, uh daisy scott who was the first black female political cartoonist published regularly i got a hold of all her comics from the Oklahoma Historical Society, and I kind of hunted down online her grand, her living granddaughter, who gave me more information and actually wrote the article about her grandmother. So things like that, I'm especially proud of. Yeah, for sure. And you know, as a, a fan, it was great to see the comic journal come back. Uh, now that you're done with it, it was. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're on here. I was uh, a fan of your issues. So thanks. I'm, yeah, of course. Discord user Shrelp asked, "What exactly do you do as an editor for new comics and for old reprints like Pogo and Crazy Cat?" could be anything uh for new stuff basically i mean some artists need more guidance than others i mean some artists don't want to just be left alone and here's the book most of the majority of the new comics i edited were translations so i did uh jippy's books and paco roca's books that's a italian and a spanish artist yeah i love those paco roca books yeah i did i did those i mean those were already edited in spanish and then we worked with a translator and a lot of that was just like Making sure anything that sounded awkward in the translation was was ironed out, mm-hmm. and making sure that you know that the English text looked good on the page and everything flowed nicely. With Paco Roca, I mean his style and his writing is so easy to work from because he's just so clear about everything. But in terms of Crazy Cat, I can't speak to Pogo. I, I never worked on Pogo. That's Eric Reynolds' books. Crazy Cat, I was given that assignment because we were going to do one more reprint of the uh, Crazy Cat Sunday strips. And we wanted this to be kind of the the final reprint in hardcover, slightly larger than the former softcover versions. So we kind of went from Kim Thompson and Chris Ware edited the first versions. So you're kind of working with like a dream team in the past already, because those guys are so good. And then I was working with Keely McCarthy, who's like the best designer in comics. So my job was just to make everything kind of flow. In my comics, like, in the George Harriman Library and the Spain Arrigas books, I'm very much into context, which I know sometimes can be uh, controversial in terms of uh, putting co- historical context in back matter, front matter in some of these comics, especially if you're like someone like Yo Books who doesn't give a shit. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those publishers that like I'm like, man, you have the greatest material, but this could have been done so much better. <laughs> so I looked at all the uh, the introductions from the previous collections. I kind of looked at it and said, like, is this relevant to the years that this book covers? Because in the previous collections, they just kind of took everything that they had access to and threw it all in the books when they got it. So, like, you have pictures of George Harriman from uh, 1940 in, like, the 1918 book. And I think just because all this stuff was was being discovered 
So they're like, oh, here's a new picture of him. Let's get it out there. Right. So now that we had everything, I wanted to make sure all the articles and the photographs and everything was relevant to the years that the books covered. Hell yeah. And then there was just some written pieces in the previous books that just had no place in being in those books. So I got rid of those and then got new written material from Michael Tisserand, who's an amazing writer and wrote the George Harriman biography. So he's kind of the the scholar on Harriman. Very nice. I guess the only other difference is that they're hardcover, they're slightly larger, and the ones I edited cover three years and the previous ones just cover two years. There will be more George Harriman books hopefully in the future, like I worked years on trying to hunt down all the Crazy Cat dailies, uh, which have never been published in full before. And hopefully that happens in the future. Gary's Gary's big idea, I could probably share this because who knows if it will happen. Gary's big idea is to get like all 40 years of Crazy Cat dailies in one giant brick box. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But tracking down dailies from like the early 1900s into the into the 1930s and 40s is crazy. And it drove me nuts because I was wanted to make sure that not only do we have them all, but that they were properly sourced and that they were correct dates because newspapers would run them different days. They would rerun strips or you know forget a day and run it the next day. So I had a spreadsheet of every single time Crazy Cat appeared in a comic and another spreadsheet that was uh, cross-referencing it. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> totally. I appreciate you going so in-depth. I just want to let the listeners know we had questions about Crazy Cat from Drew Lerman as well as uh, Michael Kennedy that were answered in that one answer. So uh, kind of ticked all the boxes there. There was a follow-up, though, that I think kind of goes into this stuff. Jamie Yost wrote in and asked, why doesn't Fanagraphics keep in-demand books like 8-Ball in print? I just want to say, like, I talked to, I think, Jack. Is that the lady who runs all the shows? Yes, Jack Cohen. Yeah, yeah, Jack Cohen. I asked her one time. I was like, hey, you know, I was at SPX. I was like, hey, why uh, is there no Nancy, you know, more Nancy volumes? And she was like, to be honest, like, it just didn't sell well enough to uh, afford the rights. Is that kind of why Fana doesn't keep things in print? You know, I think it was probably a different situation for each example for each book. Yeah. But, like, in terms of the complete eight ball um, that that person asked about, it's a huge box. Right. Um, and it's like meticulously designed by Daniel Klaus. So it's not just like a cardboard box. I think you, like people like Gary and Eric Reynolds have to uh, weigh the pros and cons of reprinting things in terms of how many did they print in the first run or the second run and how many people out there want those books. Because we I mean, we could do print on demand and you could just do, oh, here's your copy. But if there are, you know, 25 fans who missed out, you know, hardcore Daniel Klaus fans who missed out on the complete eight ball and we have to reprint like a thousand of those boxes, then you have, you know, hundreds sitting around forever. Right. Because the market is already saturated with the hardcore fans buying it when it came out. Does that answer the question? Like it's for, for Nancy, I think like all the Nancy heads at the time bought all those books out. And at the time, there wasn't enough Nancy heads to like buy a second printing of a thousand or five thousand books or whatever it was. Right. And then yeah, you just, totally. Then you just have remainders, and it's a waste of money if the second printing's not not fully bought up. Yeah, it's all business, I guess. At the end of the day. Yeah. All righty. Hell yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so we had a couple questions on Instagram from Pilco Art and uh, Bad Hands Comics Ness that were already covered, but it was essentially why'd you leave your position at Fantagraphics and how'd you go from teaching to doing comic stuff and plans about uh, your leave past doing your fatherhood stuff. Uh, is there anything that you want to circle back on that wasn't covered in the uh, interview to kind of put a bow on their questions? Or I don't think so. Okay. Hell yeah. Ness Garza is amazing. You should read her comics. For sure. <laughs> All right. So Instagram user Mr. Glaubitz asked, 
What is the best psychedelic comic you have experienced? Oh, of course. Do you know Do you know Charles Globitz? Do you guys know him? I was like, I popped yesterday because uh, they started following me, I'm guessing from you sharing the story. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of those. It's Starseed, right? Yeah, Starseed. Yeah, yeah, that guy's amazing. I mean, he's just a good guy, a good dude in general, but he's an amazing artist. Yeah, he has a series called Starseeds two books out by Fantagraphic so far. And I mean, if you would, the elevator pitch for those books is like, what if Jack Kirby was really into like ayahuasca? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good shit. I definitely recommend picking them up to the listeners. Uh, and Charles is great, but yeah, psychedelic comics. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not like a drug guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not a psychedelic guy. I guess if you want to look at some like old underground stuff, I think a, a book called Mind Warp which was done by Dave Sheridan and Fred Shire in the mid-70s. That's kind of like a overlooked underground classic psychedelic stuff. And then uh, you guys know Brian Bloomworth? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of like the, the quintessential psychedelic guy right now, I think, that he's got the goods. Totally. I don't know if that was phrased to all of us, but um, I don't know what like the most psychedelic, but I do think that some of those uh, issues of Doctor Strange that, uh, fuck, what's his name? It wasn't Sinkevich. It was- uh, Oh, Ditko. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of those uh, Ditko issues were like super psychedelic. I also, also just- Also didn't use drugs. <laughs> right. Yeah. I also just uh, read that, I think it might've been a, a reissue, but there was that Kaza book, Chris Cool. That was pretty psychedelic. Yeah. I think Gary Painter's work's pretty psychedelic. Yeah. I know those are yeah. pretty stock answers, but I don't know. Yeah. You got any best psychedelic comics you've experienced, JB? I think that 2001 Space Odyssey by Kirby is kind of psychedelic. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good stuff. Yeah, hell yeah. Any, anytime Kirby dipped into like the collage stuff, it was great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. His Kirby Nick Fury run, I think, had a bunch of that. Or uh, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever. Uh, oh, that was Steranko, right? Steranko. Oh, was that Steranko? Yeah, I thought, I saw, I, thought doing... I saw some Kirby art, though. Of, Kirby, uh, Kirby did some S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, too, but Steranko yeah, had, okay, okay, that's what I had think. kind of like the pop art Steranko stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and I know I mentioned Doom Patrol last episode, but that Morrison run is pretty much fits the bill for psychedelic. Yeah, for sure. For do you guys sure. do you guys want a Stranko story? Yeah. Oh, yes, always. <laughs> I met him. Uh, baby Billy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Pickle in his mouth. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. We need to make a Stranko shirt and it's just baby Billy on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. I met him at uh, the, the convention in Fort Wayne. I don't even remember what it's called. But for a while, Fort Wayne Con was like getting a couple big names. I know like Pete Bag went, Jaime Hernandez went, John Porcelino. I met Jim Rugg there once. Is this uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana? Yeah, Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> and it was like a, in a hotel, small show, but they would get these names because I think the guy who ran it was good at it. So he would, he'd be able to afford some people. But Stranko was there once. And this is when Yeti Press was still happening. We were doing shows everywhere. So this was like a, a real novelty to see Stranko at the show wearing a suit right. with the with the hair and the sunglasses in a Fort Wayne, Indiana hotel. And he's playing like he, he brought like a boom box in. <laughs> I just oh, yes. He's only right. selling prints. And these prints are like yellow. They're like the I don't even know where he stored them. They're like the oldest prints. <laughs> and he's playing like Bossa Nova music behind him. And he's got like one leg up on a chair, like like the Captain Morgan logo. And uh and I just remember staring at him across this like hotel uh, ballroom and just being like this is nuts <laughs> and then later that night i get into an elevator and i'm going like five floors up and the only person in the elevator when i get in is is Durenko. and i'm like six foot like almost 300 pounds and he is like the smallest man imaginable <laughs> he's probably like 
five two. I don't, he's he's tiny. He's really really yeah, little. Yeah. And we go up one floor. And I'm like, I need to say something. Like I need to say something to him. I'm in this elevator. We're going up all the way to the top of this hotel. So I'm like standing behind him slightly, and I wanted to be like polite. So I say like, um, "Hi, Mr. Stranko." And I just wanted to be like, "I'm just. This is cool just to meet you. You know, some of your comics are really great." And as soon as I say, Mr. Stranko, he like jumps, like, <laughs> like fighting stance, turns around like, like a cat. And, and I go, hey, I'm just, I'm just a fan. Like, I'm just a fan of your work. Like, I just wanted to say hello. And he like breathed a sigh of relief. And he goes, the last person who accosted me in an elevator, well, I fucked his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Sinkevich's wife? Because uh, Tony uh. Salmon said it too. <laughs> What Damn. a character. <laughs> Hell yeah. I thought you were going to say, you were going to ask him, so how about that wall? Yeah, I told, that was a total, uh, that <laughs> was an is, M. Night Shyamalan way, ending. Way, way before that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Super twist ending. All right. So uh, next question came from a uh, friend of the show, Evan Salazar. Evan wrote, what are some ways comics can build a better, more sustainable environment for artists? This is something I wanted to explore more with my journal. And just basically when I was a fan of graphics and it's probably like a regret and a, and a personal failing that I didn't get into it more than I should have. Cause I don't know, I don't know the answer, but I wanted to pay people to write more about what the answer could be. I don't know. I mean, what, what you guys are the artists. What do you guys think? Uh, there's no fixing it unless you, I think, throw out the, uh, the big companies, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, but I hate to be like, you know, so doom and gloom about it, but those companies would have to take the initiative to make things better because I feel like even though we're involved in small press, those companies still very much so dictate the landscape of comics. I think there's little things that small press companies can do, but as far as like fixing comics, like as a whole, I don't think, I think we're past that. Yeah. Um, so that, well, that wasn't just like in that with there's like personal wishes and things that I would like to see, but kind of going back to what JB said earlier about people and comics having Stockholm syndrome. I mean, I think I have it to a degree to where I just accept this is how it is. I mean, I think the root of the problem is, and I've, I know I've talked about this before, so people are probably getting sick and tired of me repeating this, but I think it's a cultural problem. I think the mm -hmm. attitudes about what comics are and sort of like where the medium stands in terms of like its importance as a medium is so low that that's why these companies can get away with treating their creators like dog shit and underpaying them. Yeah. And so, yeah, the only way to really fix that is to work out sort of how we can shift people's general understanding of what comics are uh, outside of this sort of like brain rot MCU hell world that we live in now. But the thing is, is that unfortunately that company is the only one who could like put these things into play as far as changing the perception of comics because you'd have to hit it at a mainstream Yeah, and level. it also benefits them to keep making comics this sort of like second fiddle. Right. Do you think like people yeah. like Marvel – completely drop the ball and not getting more fans from these movies or they just didn't give a shit. I, they don't give a shit. Honestly, I don't I yeah. don't think they give I, a shit. I, I also think they dropped the ball. I mean, what Marvel should have done, Marvel, you know, I've kind of spoken to this on the show too, but in my opinion, you know, Marvel relaunches every title, like every six months to a year. Like there's a new number one Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Iron Man every fucking year. So they have no problem with like just scrapping everything and relaunching or, you know, so what they should have done when those movies came out and were hot is they should have just restarted every book with the lore that was in the movies. I think that was a big missed opportunity because, you know, you would go into a comic store and you look for an Iron Man comic and it's, you know, not Tony Stark. 
you know, or Tony Stark's dead and it's a hologram. Like, I don't really give a shit, you know, what Marvel's doing. So I think that it was, but I do think it was a big missed opportunity to not get readers into stores. I think it was very confusing as like, if you went into a store after seeing the movie and wanted to see what was going on in the movies and the books, you weren't seeing that. Yeah. And I think that's because they don't really regard comics as like an art form or a medium. They see it as a way to communicate brands. Like yeah, how, how do we strengthen IP, IP farm? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like how do we, yeah. how do we bring brand awareness and not awareness about comics as a medium? Uh, because they know like, wh- why would they give a shit about that? They're, they don't make money off of right. whether or not people genuinely care or respect about comics. They can't put a some dollar amount on that, but they can do it on their brands. So I, I think that's really the core of the problem. Well, and I don't know if you've heard like rumblings of this. I've heard from like, quote unquote, reputable sources that Marvel and DC are both trying. Well, the parent companies are trying to shift the comics publishing away from being in-house. Like, have you heard any of these rumors? I could talk to you slightly about this off air. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, you're good. Yeah. So we won't we won't get into that. But yeah, I've 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 heard of a couple of companies with their names in the hat. And yeah, we'll uh yeah, so we'll table that. Damn, damn. <laughs> okay, Instagram user Joey G Cartoonist asked, What's your favorite dessert? It's uh Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Oh. What flavor? Well, I don't know. I'm on the I'm on the I'm vegan now. So okay. I'm on the dairy free. Uh but they got okay. they got this like peanut butter cookie one that's that's pretty stellar. Hell I'll yeah. have to send you some uh, vegan ice cream brands after the show. Okay. I'm not going to plug any. That's, we're not getting paid to do that, so <laughs> I'm not bothering. I used to work at I used to work at Ben and Jerry's, and it was a very pleasant experience. So nice. Uh, do you work in like the factory or do they no? Brick and I worked orders? at a, I worked at a one of the locations in Holland, Michigan. Okay. Oh, I've I've never so they have like a an ice cream shop like a Baskin Robbins type setup. Yep. Damn. Oh, I've never seen one of those. Cool. Hell yeah. All righty. So last question came from friend of the show and previous guest, Michael Sweater. Uh, Michael asked, does Gary Groth's office smell like shit? Sometimes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, there you go. He used to, he was on a kick for a while where he was eating a lot of fish <laughs> and he would, he would microwave, he would microwave the fish uh, in like the, the kitchen of the, of the house until probably Jack Cohen was like, you, you have to stop doing this. <laughs> So he got a microwave for his own office. Oh man! Oh god! Fish. Oh fuck! But but my, I'm the first desk outside of his door. Um, <laughs> so I mean that smell lingers. Why, why? Why? What is he like? It, it, does he just eat frozen fish every day? I don't think it's fro. I don't know if it's frozen. Or is it like something he's making he's kinda, and bringing? He's kind of like a. He's kind of like a. He's like a healthy guy. He's way into yoga, fish. He he tore his uh, he tore his ACL once playing racquetball with Joe Cuba. <laughs> oh <Wow>. shit! Okay, <laughs> but he also he loves. Here's all the scoops about uh, Gary Groth. He loves ice cream sundays, and he's uh, a terrifying driver. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! So uh, before we get out of here, RJ, we do want to thank you for coming on. But um, anything to plug? Where can people find you on social media? I got an Instagram, RJ Casey writes. That's about it at this point. I, I co-edited with Christy Valenti the Comics Journal from 303 to 307 the last two and a half years. So pick those issues up and just keep reading good comics. Hell yeah. All righty. Well, as always, uh, you know, we want to thank you for uh, listening. I'm Cam with my co-host JB. And as always, stay gutter. All righty. So uh, everybody hit stop.